At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of CareerGig and host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to remain agile while navigating a fast-moving industry. Paul Dunning co-founded what is now Capital Communicator in 2004 at the very beginning of the social media age, and since that time, Many developments such as marketing automation, personalization, programmatic advertising, and more have changed the marketing landscape. All the while, the business of marketing, whether from the client side or the agency side, has evolved and changed many times over. How do you know where to focus and how to anticipate change when your industry is under continual disruption? To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Paul Dunning, publisher of Capital Communicator, uh, first, uh, Paul, uh, welcome to the show, and why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, Capital Communicator? Uh, thank you, Greg. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the show. Uh, Capital, Capital Communicator is a media and events company um, that I formed uh, it's about 10 years, a little over 10 years ago now, and uh, we, we cover the advertising, marketing, public relations, and media community. Our footprint is primarily the Mid-Atlantic. Um, we, we have uh, two newsletters. One serves to let people know of the various events that are happening uh, in the region, and the other one is um, the latest news of the region. Uh, our website is the primary source of getting information, which is updated uh, on a daily basis. And then... Um, we uh, produce um, a couple events a year. Uh, historically, we've done three events, a Mid-Atlantic Marketing Summit, PR Summit, and Communicator Summit. Uh, this past year, it was a year of uh, the pandemic and so forth, we had combined those conferences into uh, one conference called MAC Summit, MAC standing for Marketing, Advertising, Communications. And we're, we're monitoring 2021 to um, see when it's safe for us to gather again. Our, our preference is to do 
um, live conferences. We, 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 we went virtual this last year, but uh, we, we uh, community and networking is a big part of our model. Great, great. Well, yeah, and I, I definitely want to get into um, the the most recent changes and, and how you're adapting and, and stuff like that in a little bit. And I mean, I, you know, for what it's worth, Paul and I go, go I would say way back. Um, I've been a capital communicator sponsor when I had my agency and um, and and stuff like that. So, you know, have have had some great experiences there. But let's let's go back to the beginning and, you know, your experience of starting it. Um, so, you know, where were you? It, it was originally called DC Communicator. Um, you know, where were you when when that was happening? And, you know, did you have a did you anticipate what it would end up becoming? Uh, not at all. Uh, Greg, uh, DC Communicator was a little project uh, started as a way uh, for me to give back to a community that had been highly fragmented from the tech bubble bust. Uh, so, you know, back in the late 90s and early 2000, I had played a lead role in a multimedia holding company that was part of that tech wave. Uh, after the crash, there was little to no coverage on a regional level on what was happening in the marketing communications profession. And on a national level, only the larger holding company firms uh, made the news. Um, the action at the time was coming from a plethora of startups that was created after the tech bus. So Phil Rabin, uh, my former business partner, and I started the monthly newsletter, DC Communicator, with the intent to recognize emerging companies, uh, provide connections uh, for jobs, and to, again, bring back a community that had been fragmented from the uh, bubble burst. Uh, so actually, Capital Communicator was formed in 2008 and early 2009, um, I decided to focus on Capital Communicator full time. Great, great. So, I, you know, I've sort I've been a part of the marketing industry for, you know, quite a while, um, a little less so these days, but, you know, with my agency starting in 2003 on, um, you know, and you've certainly been involved um, in this this pretty fast changing industry and, and seen a lot of things, uh, you know, grow and change and, and all that. How, um, you know, what's guided your thinking as, you know, you've kept your publication relevant, you've grown your audience, all this um, within this industry. And, and how do you plan to keep, what, what's the mindset you need to keep evolving and, and staying up with, with what's current? Well, um, over the number of years uh, prior to Capital Communicator, my professional life, I was uh, fortunate to have a lot of different experiences uh, working in many aspects of advertising, marketing, and public relations. Um, uh, they included roles in production and creative, sales, management, and uh, then... Um, and mergers and acquisitions. I um, was very involved in a uh, consolidation strategy of um, marketing and advertising communications companies uh, back during that tech period. Um, 
And this was at the time, you know, that uh, 360 degree marketing model um, and the best of breed components in a holding company um, was very much the model of the time. Um, so early on, I've seen marketing communications um, as being a community of expertise and not just one channel. Um, and the, the media landscape uh, has historically been pretty uh, siloed into uh, channels such as advertising, marketing, public relations. I mean, uh, you take a look at what existed um, back before Capital Communicator, and even certainly to this day, uh, they, it's been pretty siloed. So the intent was to bring these communities together, um, and that is what I've strived to do from the very beginning. Um, even though the industry is still very siloed, we're seeing the convergence of these disciplines uh, happen. Um, and that's, that's what's driven me to uh, stay abreast of what is going on in these different areas, but from a converged point of view. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll continue to evolve with that in mind as the art and science of influence forever changes to adapt to this changing world. Yeah. Well, and to continue that, I mean, you know, so in addition to keeping up with the the convergence, the marketing industry in general, uh, you know, you also function as a as a publisher and publishing is certainly one of those things that um, along the same time frame has gone through a number of changes and uh, and things as well. So, you know, having started back in 2004, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot, um, a lot, a lot of different things going on, um, you know, Social media is certainly one of those things that, uh, you know, back at that time, I mean, I think, you know, Friendster definitely existed. MySpace and Facebook were, you know, twinkles in somebody's eye, basically. But, you know, how do you see, you know, how do you see the role of the publisher, especially now that we have a few years under our belt as with social being, you know, ubiquitous, let's say. How do you see the role of the publisher in a world where everyone is a content creator, whether that's, you know, TikTok videos or blogs or or what have you? That's a very good question, uh, Greg. And it's just it's, a, you know, ongoing question that uh, I, I certainly ask myself and uh, ask of the editors and so forth that I work with. I think the role of the publisher is uh, to have, yeah, the the seasoned editors and hopefully the um, the next generation of editors that have a sense on how to curate legitimate content uh, to best suit the needs of, of the readers, but also to keep it fresh. Um, it's a very challenging business because there are not a lot of content creators whose sole goal is to, um, I mean, I should say there are, there, uh, most of the content creators, their sole goal is to maximize clicks. Yeah. 
um, often sacrificing quality and uh, legitimacy of the content. Um, native advertising uh, has been a very important part of our revenue model. Um, so, and we believe that most effective native advertising programs come from by giving um, and sharing knowledge uh, consistently over time. So this is how we've tried to uh, lead and influence the content creators um, that we curate um, and that are sponsors. Um, okay. So you know we're we're not we're not into that one-off clickbait style native ad. Um, candidly, you know, because I don't tend to accept that. Um, right, right. <laughs> probably a lot of money that I've left on the table without question. Uh, Greg, I get solicitations probably on average of twice a week from companies that are, you know, primarily, hey, we've read your, you know, we come to your site, your perfect stuff, we write really good content. And it's just so very clear, you know, what they're doing. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that start up that way. But, you know, we, we have a wise community and we've got to be true to our community. And we'd like to know our community really well who's publishing it. So we tend to uh, like to know a lot about the source and trust the source of the uh, content that's created uh, before we certainly publish. And we, um, mm -hmm. so we make it very clear that we have uh, editorial control over what we publish. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, to me, that's my experience of, of your community and, and um, is there's, there's loyalty because there's trust, right? So it's not, you know, uh, there's, uh, you mentioned, uh, the, uh, the alternative to that is just, yeah, let's, let's get a lot of content and, and either there's something for everybody or there's just enough that, uh, you know, there's enough ad revenue to, to kind of sustain it. But I mean, do you see, um, do you see that as, as a way, uh, you know, how, how have you built loyalty, I guess. I mean, is that I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but, um, you know, that to me, that seems like a way to build loyalty, but how do you, is that how you look at it as well? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we did from the very beginning with trying to build loyalty, um, is to reach out and truly try and make it clear that we're partnering with the community. Um, you know, first of all, as I noted earlier, from the beginning, um, we, we wanted to provide a voice for all channels of marketing communications. So uh, a way in which we did that early on is that we, we reached out and partnered with the various um, association groups um, that um, are, are communities for, you know, advertising, marketing, public relations, uh, 
creative and design and all those and, and and said you know look to us as being your primary your your media partner and we what we want to do is we want to be supportive of uh of what you're doing with you, you know bringing together i use the term your tribe uh yeah. your community uh you provide you know with events networking and so forth uh that you're doing but look to us as being the kind of the place where everybody can kind of come and and get a sense of the full picture of uh marketing communications so um that's what um from from the beginning and to this day, um, we we've tried to work very very closely with uh, the different groups, and and fortunately, I you know I, I feel like that has built um, a lot of loyalty uh, in the community, and um, yeah, we've had very good feedback from the different association groups about that partnership, and as one that uh, they've depended upon, and and vice versa, uh, it's important to us as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, another thing you do is uh, you mentioned this at the at the beginning of the of the interview. You do events, and and certainly, um, I think that's another. You know, in in person events have always been. You know, whether it's networking, whether it's con- you know more content based events. I mean, that's always been a way to to build uh, personal connections and and things like that as well. But obviously. With the pandemic, that has completely changed the entire events landscape, and you know we're all, um, you know, we're all uh, sitting in Zoom meetings and and working remotely, and, and so on and so forth. So you know, I know you early on you um, you have some annual events that you've done, and you mentioned you you consolidated and stuff like that. What did you learn from that process of? Um, you know, of, of doing your first virtual events and, and what, what might you do either the same or differently, um, with, with your next ones? Well, first of all, Greg, I tell you, it was, it was a lot more work than I anticipated. Um, doing a virtual event, I mean, every aspect you think of event that's, you try and do live, you're converting over into a digital form. And uh, it's just, it truly is quite different. Um, And, you know, having the right team and the right platform is so critical to a success. Um, I'd say the toughest challenge of a virtual event that is so important to certainly the types of events that we do is trying to replace the face-to-face networking. I mean, um, and also the the exhibit experience. Uh, that's always been a big component of what we do. And it's the tech. It's the technology. In my personal view, is not there yet. Uh, I, you know, not to say that it won't be in the future, but. Uh, Personally, it's um, I, I think that certainly on the exhibit side, um, trying to engage uh, the exhibitors, um, you know, with the community, I found a challenge where you know do things 
differently for virtual events in the future is they would become much more involved in the programming throughout. Um, and uh, exhibiting would be different. I mean, so yeah. th that that is definitely something that um, I know a lot of companies are working, striving to, to improve upon that, um, just like with the networking. Um, uh, so, and then I, you know, I, I think what what's happened uh, because every was was thrown into this this last year with only being able to network and communicate through technology and um, you know the the Zoom factor. Yes, there's no question about it. There is Zoom fatigue. So where I where I see the virtual event platform and that approach really working is when you have more of this destination uh, conference event that uh, requires travel, uh, requires yeah. certainly a significant amount of expense um, and, and obviously time. Uh, having a virtual component, I think, is very, very important. I think when you have more of a regional type event where networking is such a big component of it, there there's no replacement for doing it live. So personally, I'm I'm looking very forward to getting back to the live experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess along those lines, I mean, what's the? I mean, you know, every everybody asks this question, and I realize it's hard to predict too much, but you know, what's what's the new? what what's going to be the next normal i guess is are we going back to some sense of normalcy at some point i mean obviously there's lots of details like vaccines and all of those things to work out but i mean do you think we're going back to some kind of normal the way it used to be is it you know is is a is our virtual events here to stay but you know what what are your thoughts there well i i, I do think virtual events uh are here to stay um, there, I, I think of certainly with working, uh, virtually and communicating virtually, uh, makes a lot of sense in many ways for, you know, just the time savings. But, uh, but I, I think that, uh, we'll see, uh, many events become hybrids. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, and, and, and so much, um, so much technology, the technology has improved so much over this past year with the experience. And I, I see it continue to do so. So uh, I don't think things will go back totally the way they were, but I don't think that, I certainly don't think virtual events will end up replacing the live experience. I think that live experience, live events, uh, will be around for quite some time in the future, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up. Uh, having you know, having spent a lot of your focus to go back to the marketing, um, the marketing industry, you know, having focus, having spent a lot of your focus on watching that industry over your career. Um, what do you think the the marketing agency of five years from now will will look like? Uh, 
that's another good question. <laughs> um, I spend a lot of time thinking about this, even though I don't own an agency anymore. I just really I spend a bit of time. So I'm, I, I ask everybody that I, <laughs> that I know the same question. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Greg, when what became Capital Communicator was first launched, uh, we'd just come off several years of consolidation. Um, many companies in the industry were building a broad mix of extra expertise under one roof, plus a few of the traditional consulting firms were building agencies within their organization. Also having um, multiple fully staffed offices for agencies was very important. What I see is a trend that's changing uh, and it's really the change started over this past 10 years, um, especially since the financial crisis uh, and also because of technology. and then throw the pandemic on top of it, it's accelerated change. So I think in the next five years uh, that the majority of large marketing and communications agencies will be within professional services, consulting, and mega technology firms like the Accenture's and Google's. I think the remaining marketing communications firms will be small to mid-size with a majority of their staff working virtually and as contractors. I think only the largest organizations will tend to have the agency of record retainer type business models. And most other firms will be working on a project basis. In-house agencies will probably come and go due to partly to the challenge of retaining top talent. Yeah. Uh, And they're changing business certainly. I think offices will become made up primarily of more of the entry level staff with the senior level staff working primarily remotely. I think office space will resign for that entry level staff um, and mine and not the senior level staff. Real estate is no longer as important as it used to be. Um, and I there will, you know, I certainly think that we'll see a lot more people working remotely. Mm. You know, the thing is, is um, talent is spread out, you know, and and we'll see firms having talent spread out throughout the country. Uh, I think that has been accelerated so much in this past year because those models were proven that they can work. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. Those are great thoughts. I I think it's um, a a pretty comprehensive view of of the aspects uh, that's that's great. Well, Paul, uh, always great to talk with you, and you know, I'm glad I'm glad others get to uh, to listen in this time. I, you know, when, us chatting. So, you know, thanks for joining the show. for For those listening, um, you know, what's the best way for them to keep up with with what you're doing? Uh, well, go to capitalcommunicator.com, and we actually spell capital with an O, so it's C A P I T O L communicator. If you use an A, you'll get there. 
but uh, yeah, check if you're not familiar with us, uh, definitely check it out. And uh, if you like what you see, uh, subscribe to the newsletters. That'll keep you um, up to date. It's it's all free, and uh, and that not only keep you up to date with what we're doing, but what you know others, um, some of the association groups and so forth, um, what they have and their planning and uh, the events. Great. Well, uh, thanks again for um, for joining the show. Um, Paul Dunning, publisher of Capital Communicator. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.